This episode is brought to you by Thinknear. Their location score platform delivers the most accurate location targeting available on mobile. Visit them at locationscore.com. And by Pollen. Access your app store revenues faster and fund user acquisition straight away. To sign up, go to pollen.vc. and welcome to Untethered.tv. I am your host and founder, Rob Woodbridge. Today, I have a guest that actually says in his bio, he's older than the video game industry itself. Now, I don't believe that at all. And you'll get to know Alan in a second. I've got Alan Price, who's the co-founder and CTO of a company called Fuel. Uh, and they're based out in Vancouver. Is that right, Alan? Yeah, we're based out in Vancouver and in San Francisco as well. Yeah, yeah. so the West Coast covered by Fuel. How's that? Great. And we are going to be talking about, uh, you know, we'll get into uh, what Fuel does. We're also going to be talking about uh, the tips and techniques and strategies to, uh, you know, induce engagement in, in mobile games. Now, i got a big story here is that it's, I'm like a fanboy here because uh, Alan used to work at EA uh, and one of my all-time favorite games, I don't play video games anymore. I wish I did. And I'll tell you why in a second. But one of my all-time favorite games is a good Canadian boy. I hated the sport of hockey. I, honest to God, I did not like hockey. I'm a baseball fan but when I played EA Sports NHL 96 was the first version I played um, and I played every year until I, I couldn't validate it to my wife that I was doing this for anything pure more than fun uh, EA NHL Sports NHL hockey is the ultimate game and I loved it and the only reason I stopped man was because you started using more than three buttons on the controller and I just I cognitively I couldn't I couldn't figure out what to do with 19 buttons yeah. And I'd always get beat by my niece and nephew, so I, I hung up the cleats. But NHL hockey, you you were involved in that. that. That to me is the biggest brand in Canada for EA. It's got to be. Yeah, yeah, it was a great brand to be involved with. I mean, you know, it definitely when you, whenever you make technology and you're able to uh, you know show what you've done to somebody and somebody recognizes it, that's absolutely huge. I mean, you know, you feel really good that I've actually impacted. And then the story does turn to why did you do this in the game? And then you're okay, yeah, exactly, yeah. yes. And uh, but it was it was actually really quite fascinating. You know, uh, you know, you'd go to any party and somebody said you make NHL and and they start talking about it and they start telling you things about the game which weren't actually in the game, which was fantastic as well. That was uh, that was great. It, it used to be the, um, you know, we had a lot of stats in the game and people would make up all sorts of stories about how the stats impacted the players and everything, which was really, um, it was really great. And, you know, sometimes you just smile and nod and say, you know, I, I'm glad you enjoyed the game. <laughs> And when and when somebody said they weren't enjoying it, you'd say it's that other person's fault. Exactly, yeah. you pointed with the finger. That, yeah, like you worked in some of the biggest franchises for 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 EA, and uh, you yeah. know, for those who don't know, Vancouver is a huge development office. At least it was during those times for yeah. EA. Um, but but these are big brands. What was that like working on those big companies? Yeah, it was uh, so. You know, I had uh, made some sports games outside of EA before in a, in a previous incarnation in the video game industry for myself. When I went to EA, um, you know, it was definitely uh, quite different. In that one studio, we had housed, uh, you know, NHL, FIFA, uh, NBA. There were more titles that came along as well. Uh, you know, the NCAA um, basketball was there as well. So you, you definitely 
were pushing some of the biggest titles in the sports arena in the world. And um, there was definitely a commitment to try and get in the best thing out there. I mean, that's one thing I'd always uh, think about at EA is, you know, you would have in the console industry this disconnect between when you did something and the press and your ability to connect with the press. So you, you would uh, end up seeing, uh, you know, people talking about the game after you'd publish it and really not have another year to do something about it. And that, that's actually that's something that's changed that I really enjoy in the mobile space, this direct communication with consumers, you know, on the Play Store or the Apple Store, you know, the, the feedback you're getting from reviews, that's fantastic because in the old world, it was really a number of reviewers who were really talking about it, kind of leading eventually the forums, but that was a much smaller space that people communicated than, than in the mobile world. So, uh, you know, there was definitely, it's, uh, it's really good things about putting out titles. And, and I did work, I think, pretty well on every title eventually as, as through my career there. I mean, I, it, yeah. it just, it, you know, there was, that was a, a place, a destination, right? EA became yeah. a destination. And you, you left in around 2010 to, to go and, and, and be a part of Fuel and, and co-found Fuel. Uh, yeah. What was it? And we didn't talk about this. Uh, and feel free to not answer yeah. this, but I'm I'm intrigued yeah. because right right about that time we saw a mass exodus from from EA. Um, right. And and the concern was the longevity of the of the company as a result of mobile gaming and the fact that they were going down a different path. What was it for you that that led you led you out of EA? Yeah. Well, I you know I I, I have. Uh no kind of negative feelings about my time at EA. Definitely, you know, it was a great time to be there. There was a lot of interesting stuff. You know, the resources were there to, to do some very interesting things. And, and I actually, I don't think I'd be in the position I am now to kind of look at the industry the way I, I do if I didn't have the opportunities I had at EA. Um, but at the time when I left, it was really, you know, I had uh, done a number of things there. And I've always been kind of an innovator. In fact, I think I've always been an entrepreneur. I was at EA for 10 years, which was kind of, you know, for me, my, my track record before there was every two years kind of looking at the next thing. And I hadn't started my own companies, but I certainly was looking. EA actually managed to put something in front of me all the time that was very interesting. It was either, you know, hey, we really want to move into the on, on, online space in the console in a different way. You know, other things I, I did was, you know, bring in new companies into the company and, and kind of bring them into how we do things. Or they put the challenge at one point to me uh, uh, before I became the CTO in EA Canada was uh, around FIFA. And we really need to change the way AI works. And, and so, you know, I kind of led that. And so those were really interesting things. They, they kind of managed to keep my uh, challenge for innovation there. But as, as I moved on, it was sort of like I've done these things and I kind of looked at this thing outside which was shining. And the shiny <laughs> thing was, you know, the rest of the world was moving into the web space and it was really, you know, nascent in the mobile space as well. And I looked at that and I also remembered, I remember when I first started in video games, you know, I made a few products for another company called Radical Entertainment. And at that time, it was me and an artist together working on a box. And I remember my first game we made in 10, 10 months and it was so much fun and the mobile world was starting to emulate that you know you could have a couple indies sitting together and so I saw the excitement of that I saw the opportunity of the mobile space I saw the online connectivity space and it was just you know I need to pursue something personally that that, that, that really you know is is where I want to start making the future and it just was not for me currently at EA so you know that's I I, I it would have been an interesting move at EA to, to simply kind of go back and become the developer on the floor as well. And, and, and a part of me wanted to do that a bit. 
So it's it's funny though, but you you leave EA and you don't start a, a game company. You start a, what what I would consider an infrastructure company for yeah. games, right? So, I mean, was there a debate when you left that what you were going to do, or did you when you left did you did you did you have intent on building something like Fuel? And, and in a second, yeah. we're going to find out what Fuel is. But right. I'm just interested to know that. Yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, the intent when leaving was um, was not to make an, a game company. Uh, uh, as it, as it was, you know. I, in fact, I actually remember telling a couple of people, if, if I'm making just straight games again, I think something's gone wrong in my plan. <laughs> so, so the so the plan was really, um, honestly, you know, I, I've had a lot of experience. I've made some great games. I've I've made some of the biggest games in in the world. And made some real impact there. But I want to. I've been always striving for what can I do with games that actually has a greater impact. Right. So, um, uh, you know, when I actually did leave EA, I had a smaller company starting out first in the health space. Uh, although I, the thing I wanted to be very careful about there was this is not a health games company because in, in some ways that's the dagger. And when we start talking about engagement, to me, a health games is, is the dagger if you call yourself a health games. It has to be a game that might have an outcome which is health based. Right. And when you think, uh, when, when Fuel uh, first began, and Fuel actually had another name uh, before it became Fuel, which was Grant 2, it actually has a purpose in mind which, which had to do around with um, why we do this. We want an impact on the world. And there's, there was an aspect of, uh, strangely enough, charitable donations and tuitions that's, that's, that's somewhat buried in our message now, but is still a core driver for us as a company. So. Basically, why I left was I wanted to take the skills I had, but have games make more, uh, mean more to people than they currently do. Not just as an entertainment avenue, what we really have is a new media outlet, and games are kind of at the forefront of that. You know, when you look about how much time people are spending in, in, the, in the game world, in the entertainment world, and it's how can we use that time and leverage to give back. I mean, that kind of goes back to Jane McGonigal and what she talked about in her book, and, and I'm a big fan of that concept and and you know for me it was like I still have some time despite being older than the video game industry itself I still have some time to uh, do something like this so right. what what does fuel do let's get to that so fuel so fuel really is a um, uh, it's a company that allows for online connectivity online connected experiences in mobile games so there's a number of different uh, products we are coming out with, but the product that's mainly there right now is a multiplayer experience. Uh, what happens is basically a game will have a button that says launch multiplayer. We take over at that point to all the uh, connectivity between the players, matchmaking, creating relationships between people, and then we go back to the game and say play the game, and then they return to us. So basically, it's a very simple ways for games to get the leverage of playing with one another. The simple premise around that is, you know, it's always more fun to play something you like with somebody else. And we wanted to make that really easy for developers because there weren't a lot of pieces out there. So uh, as a market, as a marked difference between us and other products, I'd say we present an experience, not just a bunch of back-end services. We actually have the visuals, we have the screen in front of the player, you know, and we spend a lot of time modifying, working with that to create the best experience. So, I mean, the outcome of that is, the outcome of all of what you guys offer is, what, deeper engagement, more regency, more, you know, uh, more affiliation with the games? You know, what happens? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, again, it's it's more experience, um, more of a, a broader experience that you can share with friends. You know, right. it, it's very simply at the beginning what we said. It's kind of like play with friends in a box. Here's the box you can now play with other people in the same way you were playing this uh, this game by yourself. And it came out of you know uh, the, my co-founder Mick Mick Nyem, He um, you know used to play a very simple game on Facebook where they would basically be tallying their scores to one another first, and then and then that game, uh, uh, there was another one which was, um, I think, uh, Jetpack, I think it was called. Yes. It's a really very simple Facebook type game, but it basically had challenge this other person and beat their score. And you know, that was the thing. The game was kind of fun, but it was all in the tension that was created with the other person and how you play it together. So, um, you know, it there's definitely different effects in different games, different genres, and that's kind of what we explore every day: is how do we bring that best experience in different uh, to these different games with the infrastructure that's required? Because that's another thing. Coming from the games industry, you know, the amount of uh, understanding that's required to set up these backends is pretty significant. Right. Maintaining them, having the long tail is, is sort of a, a, a dreadful thought to any developer. Like, you know, I'm going to put my game out there, I'm going to try, but now I've got this burden of the back end. And um, so, you know, definitely that's where we step in and we say there is a commodity here. And we push the barriers of the commodity. And I could kind of go back at this point to a philosophy I had at EA, which, uh, which I'm manifesting here, which is I sat, uh, I, I, I made games a lot, you know, I, I was right on the forefront of games, you know, every feature I was making affecting the people who were there, and I also built some things on the back end to provide for those games, and there's always that divide between the front end innovators and the back end commodity, and uh, definitely I had a, a, you know, a very interesting experience at EA being in what was at that time the largest studio in the world of developers, where you try to get efficiency but still maintain innovation. It's an extremely difficult juggling act and, and I have a number of processes I go through to handle that but for me it was really pushing the boundaries of commodity with our partners and our game partners. So we really think of our game, uh, the people who use our SDK as partners because we're really exploring with them how far can we push this commodity to offlay cost to them, right? Offlay what, you know, what really making that proposition of what's the value of building yourself. A bespoke solution, no doubt, is always the greatest solution. It also might bring you to ruin because of the cost. Right? It's true. Yeah. Well, I've seen that happen. You know, I, I, I've, um, I ran uh, for three and a half years, I ran a mobile game uh, company, development company here in Ottawa. Right. And uh, you're right. Uh, you, you know, there's, there's this, I, I, I don't know, there's, there's this feeling that when you, when you uh, love video games and then you get into the video game business, it's all like like chocolate and rainbows and candy but you realize that you know um being a part of the video game industry is not like playing the video game it is a very difficult thing to be a part of you know not only do you have to create games and uh, especially in mobile it was like it didn't matter how good your month was last month you needed new games every month and the churn was very high to be able to get the games out but you're right I had people that were focusing, that loved creating video games, but didn't really care about the back end. And right. the back end always interfered with the video game production and quality because yeah. we had to say, like, here's your idea, but let's distill that down into this little idea because it fits in our little box, which is our back end. And that is a right. very difficult thing to do when you've got creative yeah. people trying to build video games. And and uh, taking taking the responsibility of the infrastructure away from them and away from the company yeah. and let them, letting them focus on what they do best, yeah. that, that, that that's would would have i don't know uh cut the uh the anchor that was holding us down at that time yeah. i think 
Yeah, and I, and I think that's that's uh, completely valid. I mean, there's definitely a fear of some of the back-end pieces, uh, even in the individual people building it, because of, you know, how is this uh, allowing me to innovate and be creative? It's right. really a building structure. Um, I do believe, though, that, you know, there, there, are, there are places above the API, let's say, and that's really where we're fitting in, is we're above the API. Yes, we have this back end, and yes, it does all the things that we need to do, but we're really about how do we actually build the best experience inside the game that is part of the visual experience, part of the, the direct-to-consumer experience that also folds into our back end. So, you know, what I have a very interesting collection of, uh, we have a very interesting collection of people in this company to, to try and build a solution. Predominantly, they come from the games industry. Uh, you know, like myself, having seen the problems on both sides and wanting to really help developers, uh, you know, get to someplace better where they can really concentrate on the innovations that matter. You know, what matters to a game team is that the pe their job is to make people love their games. Our job is to let people love those games together and help them, right? Because that's a very expensive proposition and we have some knowledge in the area, but it does require us to really understand games quite well, right? I, and so when, when, you, when you guys get involved or when somebody mm -hmm. uses you, I mean, what happens? There's got to be something. I know you've got some case studies up there, but but you know, do you have does engagement happen? Does does regency happen? Do people come back and play the game more often? Do they share the game more often? I mean, what's the advantage of of what you guys are offering for game right. developers? Yeah. So I mean, the use cases are there, and and the answer is yes, it does increase that. Um, That's all you need to well, say. We're done, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. uh, uh, you know, it's it's more than uh, I think it's more than just saying pop it in and it's going to work. Yeah. That, that that's kind of a naivety. You you get it in there and it definitely works. And we have some principles which will help you along. And uh, we grow every day in our ability of what we can do in these spaces. One, because we've got a great technology base that we build on top of, and we've got a great knowledge base we build off of. I will give a, a description we don't really talk about in our use cases. It is um, we've built a solution that can definitely uh, grow over time. The way it's delivered, it's dynamically delivered to the game. You know, I can change an experience and it's immediately changed in 100% of the audience around the world, which is really a fantastic thing when you get to the barriers of, you know, people having multiple different versions and having to get through the Apple or Google Play Store. I know Google Play Store is a lot easier, but it still takes time. Yes. And you still don't have the ability to necessarily say, is 100% of my audience affected? So if I want to change where a button is or want to change any of that, that can happen immediately everywhere. We've used techniques like that. Uh, we took one game, when we first got in them, we were at about 500 rounds played a day. Within three months, we had them over 100,000 rounds played a day without a drop of the SDK. What? Because what we're really doing is looking at what, is, what are the patterns. You know, we have analytics around how people are using it. We can modify what the experience. We can, we can modify back-end pieces in how we connect people up so it's the most enjoyable experience. And maybe this is kind of a segue into how do you build better engagement. Um, I'd have to say the principles behind everything uh, I think I do and, and our team does is around the concept of flow. And, I'm, and I will butcher his name again if I try and, you know, uh, say him, um, you know, it, but the concept of flow is a, the psychological concept of, you know, um, people want to achieve something if they know a well-defined outcome, if they think they're making progress to know it and know the agency in which they can make it, they will keep going. You know, this is a general principle of games themselves. And, you know, our, 
our part is, is deeply ingrained in the game. It follows that same principle of people understanding what it is they need to do, where they need to go, how they're performing. You know, we do strive to get better and better in that. I would say, you know, we're a work in progress in that. And yet still, we get these great results in games. Um, and for me, that's the reason to look at this and be very cautious about trying to build it yourself because the amount of time you need to spend on this is great. And it's more than just having uh, a set of calls you can make. It's how you use those calls. As I say, we didn't, you know, the changes when we went from 500 to over 100,000 was how we laid things out, how we presented to people, what kind of people we presented them, them with. Uh, some companies are on this journey themselves, learning themselves, and they might not want to share this information with other people because it is a, a, a quite an advantage. Even if they shared the information, and this is why I'm not too afraid about some of the things we do, there's still a huge barrier to entry here. And you have to do it the right way, and you have to learn and take some punches and, and go a little bit further along the way. I love it. I love it. I'm going to ask you in one second about those principles, the things that okay. you have seen, the best practices around uh, how to get your app more engaged and what you have to do to build into that app. But before we do that, I have to pay my bills. Untether.tv is brought to you by Thinknear. Here's a reminder of what they do from VP of product, Lucas Dickey. I was described as being, you know, location-based advertising. So hitting the right user um, at the right place with the right message. So that's easy enough to understand. The real question is, what does their family think they do all day? I, I'm not sure I've ever successfully explained anything about what I do. My family's pretty in touch, so I think they understand the mobile um, aspect of Thinknear. They, they don't know how it happens. On my parents' side, they've described for the last decade that I worked in IT. So most people tend to think I'm doing, um, you know, driver replacements or fixing printers. But I think they generally think that I walk around talking all day, nonstop, <laughs> designing things, tweeting nonstop, writing a lot, and that would generally be true. <laughs> so, so they're pretty much up. My mom does not yet have a smartphone and she refuses to let me get her one, so given that we're a mobile advertising company and my mom refuses to get a smartphone, I don't know, it's like the fact that there are games on a phone is just mind-boggling to her because she still thinks Nintendo was a very novel and futuristic gaming device. But in my parents' head, I do IT, and I'm okay with that. They don't need to know anything beyond that other than that. I will be looking out for their future and I'm one of the sons that they'll be able to, to, to rely on when they get old. <laughs> Help Lucas support his parents by going to thinknear.com. It's fascinating to me to talk about the impact that you guys can have on a single app and the engagement in the plays. Uh, but I'm really interested. I wrote down this word here called principles. You said that you have some principles that you guys adhere to, and I'd love to know what those are. And, and really uh, tips, tricks, techniques in order to be able to uh, you know, bring engagement into the app because it is so difficult right now. Yeah. So yeah. what have you got for us? Yeah, so I'll, I'll actually uh, probably talk more about the online space than the general game space. Yeah, I mean, sure. there, there are principles in the general game space about, um, you know, leading forward about uh, 
having an achievable goal, visible goal, moving them forwards to it, having them really understand what they can do to move forward. You know, uh, there's a sense of there's always a win. There are some games which are fantastic about this, right? You know, there's always a win in the game you play. Even if you didn't get your highest score, you may have earned something else. And, and a lot of games are using some of these principles. But I'll talk about kind of in the online space, there's some different things that happen in that space which are really important. And one of them is timeliness. So timeliness is the ability for, you know, we, we create a asynchronous experience. A synchronous experience in the mobile space can be done it's challenging at mm -hmm. times. You know, you have mobile connectivity problems. You have time problems. You have people in different parts of the world who want to play one another. So we've really concentrated on the asynchronous uh, place right now. And, and just to make sure everybody understands asynchronous, it means that, you know, you're playing at one time, you finish your part of the contracted game, and then somebody will finish their part at another time. It's chess. Together. It's chess. Yeah. But you do want to make sure that timeline uh, works well and it's done well. So what we try and do is really match make you um, in two ways. So if I go back to low, one is the timeliness, that you know the result of what you've done. And the other thing is that you basically have been able to play somebody that's given you a good match, but you understand why you either lost or what you can do to get better, right? That is actually a key principle. I will be honest, we're working more and more in that area. You know, we've, we've, so as we bring in more games, different games, they have different challenges in this space and it makes us look about how could we do this? How do we tier in this case? How do we, uh, you know, we already have matchmaking principles. We use an ELO system in the background in order to do this. But, um, you know, one of the features we put in there around timeliness and is sort of the, the concept of a quick play match. So a quick play match is you, you will have a challenge if always you're trying to play another specific person. And now you have to wait. Where are they in the world? What are they doing? Oh, their phone just lost connectivity. The idea of the quick match is the presentation of half a match as fast as, fast as possible. So, for example, I play my match. I really don't know who I'm playing. I'm putting it up there and having played my half, when I, somebody else comes in and play, presses a quick match button, what they do is they try to complete another person's match as fast as possible. Right? So we're not actually playing them against a individual. They will know once it's matched up. But what you're trying to do is connect people as fast as possible. What we have in, in many of our games is as soon as I play a quick match, I may put the app down and we have things like push notifications to say, hey, somebody else has finished your match. Probably within two minutes, if it's a two-minute gameplay, I will have a result from my game. It'll say, hey, somebody else has finished your game. Go back and take a look. Now there's the loop. Now there's the engagement. You know, again, if you can make it relevant and timely, you know, a lot of these are uh, standard psychological principles about putting something in front of somebody and, and, and giving them a result right away. So that's, what, you know, that's a pretty important principle uh, in that way. The other thing is when we do present people is presenting options. People want options. They don't want too many options, but they want a certain number of options. They want to feel in control of the situation. So we present rivals to them. We present what we call frenemies to people, you know, people that might be of equivalent level or, or capability, people they may have been playing regularly before, keeping them attuned to what is going on in their kind of match up with them. So again, building that community with people. This is where the online space is very different than the single player. The single player is, you know, you against a number of set goals. Now we get into the online space. It's about you in conjunction with other people. And we have not moved into this space yet. We certainly talk about it all the time is cooperation. I'm very keen on the concept of cooperation. You know, um, uh, we play a number of games to, to understand this. You know, recently I've been spending a lot of time with 
with Dota and and kind of you know what's going on there and they have some very draconian ways of, of handling it like if you leave a game you're a really bad person and we're <laughs> going to put you in a list of bad people as well shame yeah. you yeah, shame you. We haven't got to there yet, but I mean, that's that's the concept of in the online space. Now you have another leverage of um, you have a leverage of you're in there with other people. You have a responsibility to other people, and it's how you play that up in a non-negative light, right? So there's all these added additions which you can use to increase it. Now, having said that, a game which is completely unengaging in itself has only a limited number of things. Although we have games which are fairly simple and they have a very simple game mechanic which work wonderfully on the online space because people, their, their natural step is, I've mastered this, I want to master it with other people. You could look at Dota and League of Legends as that, as a sort of a chess game that once people know the rules, they want to play with other people. Right, yeah. right. Well, you know, I, I, I got addicted early on to uh, Dots, I think it was, and they had right. a multiplayer yeah. piece to it, right? That, uh, yeah. that uh, it was like that, it was asynchronous, um, and so you, you'd go and then what, what they got really good at was, and, and this is a technique and, and I don't know if you guys employ, employ this or not, but, um, so with dots is a free version of the game and then you yeah. can do networked and whatever you want, but you can only play a single game at a time. So if you're doing an asynchronous match with somebody that's random on the other end and they're taking their time, you can either fold that match, which is against your ego to give up on a game right. or you unlock the whole game for whatever it was three bucks. And then you could do unlimited network matches. So you could do five or six of them at a time and then it didn't matter right. that that one person was taking your time. I thought this was a brilliant strategy in order to be able to get yeah. me to pay for the three bucks so that I could do unlimited network games because they used an asynchronous model that relied on somebody to respond. And, yeah. uh, and if you're impatient like me, there's no such thing as a quick game of that. So, uh, you know, those are uh, like, I yeah. love that strategy. Hated it at the yeah. time, but love it in, in hindsight. Yeah. yeah, in hindsight, I mean, there are some things where you, one thing we always try and do is, uh, be in the interest of users, but I think that's a very um, careful uh, wording there because you know giving everybody the candy store yeah. is not necessarily the right thing. We want to feel the tension. That's part of flow as well is feeling the tension and feeling the the need to do it. And part of that sometimes is having a little bit of scarcity. Mm -hmm. You know, I know there's several games that work on the concept of dearth or scarcity, and they work very well in that way. You know, um, we have one game where we present uh, tournaments once a week and they are crazy because they're only once a week and they get in there and they're lining up and they're ready to go in on the weekend. And that's a very interesting concept. I have a game that I'm somewhat addicted to as well, which I've mastered, somewhat mastered. It's a game called Wordament, which is really just a like a, you know, a boggle, an online boggle type game. It's got to the point where it's really not about mastering the game. It's really about comparing myself to the other people at the top of the leaderboards. Right. That's very interesting to me. This concept is, you know, the game itself is now just the playground. I'm really just with other people exercising my skill, and I can't stop doing it. That's, <laughs> that's a very interesting concept. And I think, you know, uh, this is what's great about this area is there's an almost an unlimited areas of human psychology to explore with that bringing in other people also adds to. And, and it's why people should be cautious, because if you're going to go down this road, you really have to get into these areas. And I think, you know, that is that's fascinating to me because Dots has come and gone, right? Two versions yep. of iPhones later, I don't play the game anymore. And, and, it, and it was a very short period, a short and tumultuous period of my lifetime, which was playing that game. And then I was just done because, you know, right. they, they, I don't think that they, they kept my attention long enough. Just doing right. network games, asynchronous network games wasn't enough, right? Right. Now the idea of a tournament, a dots tournament. I think, oh my god, that would be great. But yeah. don't let me start that game again, or else productivity starts to kill, 
starts yeah. to die. But but yeah. we've seen in this, and I want to I, I want to get your uh, opinion about this. And this might be the last thing that we can talk about is yeah. is uh, you know there there seems to be um, a good way to describe this is have you ever watched little kids play soccer and they all huddle yeah. around the ball, right? So you put the ball down and there's like forty seven kids around the ball, yeah. right? Um, but I, I think that that happens in in the mobile game space as well, right? So uh, you know we had these we have these freemium models that emerged about eighteen months yeah. ago, and and uh, the, the models were fine. You could play it on your own, but it, you know there's these little uh, in app purchases that accelerate the the gameplay, and I, I think that that really created a a sense of. Um, I don't know, uh, you know, people played these games. They became addicted to these games and they actually, you know, waded through their minds being created or mined or whatever it might be so that they could earn what they needed to earn without paying. So people came back in droves and they started playing these games. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's petering out or not, but when you look at that kind of strategy versus the what you guys are doing with your back end at Fuel, uh, you know, what's the future look like for these things? Is I mean, is it petering out with this, you know, in-app stuff and moving towards the connected piece uh, uh, of, yeah. of one-on-one against each other? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the freemium strategy in South Park had a great uh, uh, episode recently, which was spot on, of course. Yeah. And, you know, part of that is is one of the challenges. You know, I come from a console world where it was very easy when somebody pays you money up front, and now my job is to fulfill as many features as possible. Freemium world has some challenges, potentially, and, you know... Uh, can I say, can I just... Yeah. Alan, I, I long for those days. Right? Of the console world? Of the console world, like, I just pay my 60 bucks and I get the game yeah. and I'm not getting harassed and I'm not, it's not limiting my growth. Like, I'm a guy who would rather pay 60 bucks to yeah. get fully, to just, I want to play the game. I don't yeah. want, I don't want to wait 24 hours for my base to be built, right? Uh, and I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to feel like I'm being, um, um, I don't know, uh, harassed every time, manipulated yeah. to buy, right? Yeah. So I just wanted to get that out. Yeah. No, I, and I agree. I mean, it's a very difficult space. You know, I, it's, uh, I think what we're trying to do is offer different ways of looking at it potentially. You know, uh, a way if you engage a person who is not necessarily in there a little bit longer, maybe you will get to that, which helps the freemium model. But maybe there are other models you can deal with now. With engaged people, you can look at back to models of subscription, which feel a little bit more like, hey, I've got, I've got somebody who's said, I love this experience and I want to push more out there. Um, when I do think about it, there's something very interesting. I think, you know, the freemium model itself, how the revenue model works itself, has a number of different players in that. And I think this is the one thing is, you know, players are not one size fits all. And there are very, there are very many archetypes, ar archetypes from what, um, you know, people are like, you know, the achievers, the grievers, uh, you know, you can go to the four model, the eight model, whichever one, which again, are very important things to understand, especially in a multiplayer community. Um, but for each of them, there are different experiences that, that bring them along to a different place, and they may not make it to the end. They may not make it into the community. But I would reflect back on something like World of Warcraft. And I, for my personal belief around World of Warcraft, what happened there was they won. They had this great entry to bar, uh, barrier to entry where you went online and they made it very easy for you online. I think that's an important part. You know, I can remember the early days of NHL where I didn't really play NHL online, despite being pretty good at the game. I won the in-company tournament, but I still got killed when I went into the online world because there were other people out there and there wasn't really you know, a great experience when we initially did these things. Um, and what you've got to look at is World of Warcraft did this thing where it was great for all the archetypes and great for all the levels to experience that world. And what a multiplayer world can do is give greater flavor to an existing game. You know, if, if I would say that's our journey, uh, that's what we're looking for. And it's, a, it's not 
it's a online connected multiplayer experience. So as I said, you know, the product we currently have is this multiplayer space. We're definitely looking at, at moving deeper into games in different spaces in a way they're ready to accept, in a, in a way they're ready to partner on, where we can kind of bring this expertise because I believe there's a commonality across a number of games in the way this gets done. Like you were saying about what Dots did is completely applicable to another game as well. It, you don't need to reinvent that wheel. There are some new wheels we're going to create, and there are some existing ones that you should really just say, hey, I, I, I should just take this wheel because it's a working wheel. Um, so that's kind of, in my mind, you know, there is this challenge in the world of where we currently are. My partner loves to use the word, he wants to uplift the industry, you know, and, and, and I get what he's trying to say there. It's like, you know, can we get back to some of these different spaces, you know, and especially for us old timers, we think about the world where it was, the, the equation was pretty simple. People have paid us to give a great entertainment experience. And that's why a lot of us got into the video game industry in the beginning was, I want to give this great entertainment experience. Right. And, uh, you know, again, that's that's kind of a driving principle behind what we do. God. I'm so fascinated by this because, uh, you, you know, the space is uh, obviously from a mobile standpoint, uh, when you look at the applications that are killing it in, in, in mobile, uh, yep. predominantly, I mean, it's the majority of it is is games and, and, and the churn on the games is, is amazing. There's still opportunity for in independent developers to do great things with mobile games, uh, as opposed to where we're starting to see the domination of the big brands like Facebook and Twitter and all these guys yeah. who are who own our news feed and our email clients like th those productivity tools are pretty much nailed by yeah. these big companies. But there still are every once in a while. There's these just amazing mobile games that are developed by independent developers in Montreal and Vancouver and Ottawa and Vancouver and uh, San Francisco that that capture our imagination. And I think that that that's what's so unique about it. That's why uh, yeah. this kind of stuff. And if you can allow them with the technology by fuel to bring that that, that your piece in without yeah. without making them sacrifice their creativity and and get them out of their pr primary business, which is in game development and uh, yeah. creative game development, yeah. that, that that makes this a win. Great. I'm going to use what you just said. That's, that's our sales pitch. There you go. Done. Done. Well, where, where should we send people who are interested in this? Uh, well, definitely start going to fuelpower.com. You know, that's where you can get on, take a look uh, at the SDK and what we do. And, and, you know, it's a fairly light integration um, to get sort of the, the regular bells and whistles. There'll be more tools we're coming out with that can help people basically manage the experience of their game as they move forward. Uh, I will say that if you take a look, interestingly enough, despite there is the, the peak and valleys of a lot of games right now, some games, if you look at the top 100, a lot of them have been sitting there for years. Yes. And they've managed to create some of these tools around how do they maintain and change their experience over time. In some ways, that's what we're there for. We're, we're building the tool sets which which to us drive much further than API into how do you continually engage your users, modify with your users, keep your game relevant to your users while maintaining kind of that experience for them to keep going. And that's what we're, that's what we're striving for. Amazing, amazing. Alan, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate the time you give me to, to make, be a talking head. I love it. <laughs> well, we've been speaking with Alan Price, who's the uh, co-founder and CTO of a company called Fuel. Go to fuelpowered.com. Take a look around. If you're an independent developer, game, a game developer for the mobile space, uh, this should resonate with you. I would love to hear from you guys. If you actually uh, jump in there and start using Fuel Powered, reach out to me at rob at ontether.tv. And if you have any feedback, I'm sure that Alan would welcome that as well. Just go to fuelpowered.com.
Yeah. Folks, whoever you are, wherever you are, I thank you so much for uh, tuning in to this episode. As I always say at the end, it means so much that you make it through these episodes, that you make it to this word right here that I'm speaking into your ears or watching on TV or on a screen right now. Thank you so much for doing that. And I will endeavor to bring you another episode of Untethered.tv very soon. Thank you, Alan. Thank you.